You are listening to the Remotepreneurs Podcast. Here, you'll learn how to adapt to a new future of doing business remotely by listening to interviews with the new breed of entrepreneurs called Remotepreneurs. Now, welcome your host, a remotepreneur that came from the factories to building multiple location independent incomes all remotely, Philip Ville Stankowski. Welcome to the Remote Preneurs Podcast. My name is Philip Stankowski and for the past five years, I've been able to develop a location independent income and became top rated freelancer on all the major platforms for freelancers. And I believe that the new entrepreneurs are remote preneurs. And the purpose of this podcast is to interview successful freelancers or entrepreneurs that managed to escape the matrix and created their own reality. You can learn from this interview that are going to help you to how to build and uh, manage remote team, how to develop outsourcing team. Also, if you're interested, how to escape the cubicle life. So in this episode, we do have interesting co-founders of an, an interesting business that was started on crowdfunding. It's interesting how I actually met one of them. It was uh, through cold email. Then I done a presentation for one of the jobs that I'm working remotely in sales position and then just told him that I'm going to Chiang Mai and he said like, oh, I'll be there and I'll meet. Probably he was thinking that I was joking, but <laughs> here we are. So they have interesting uh, business relationship. Michael is from uh, Germany. He is an ex-corporate high-level executive that managed to escape the matrix because he wasn't happy. Although I believe that his entire life, he was taught that 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 would be the best case in his life. He had a team of 30 people, but he wasn't satisfied and decided to to build something that is going to last and create an impact to Japanese culture. So together with Misa, they started a company called uh, Aizome Bedding. Maybe I got the the name wrong. They will correct me. (laughs) Aizome. Aizome Bedding. Pretty close. (laughs) Aizome Bedding. And it's interesting that Misa, she's from Japan and her culture there promotes that you need to be a loyal employee work like 50 years there and you should be happy and the cubicle will be the best thing that can happen. But she she saw that she wasn't happy and together with Michael, together are building a new interesting business that they will share. Hi guys, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for thank coming you. to Chiang Mai. Welcome <laughs> to the city. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. it is, it's great. So guys, can you please share your background? We can start with, uh, let, let's ladies be first. Like. Okay, so my background. So before, before starting Eyes of a Bedding, we, I, was, I was working for one of the biggest Japanese cosmetic company. And then I was there for about two years. And then I was doing sales. Yes, but, you know, as, a, as Felix mentioned, it was, a, it was a little bit hard to work in Japanese company because of the walking culture and then working hours as well. And also we have, I, I love my, com- my country, but still we have some um, issues about, you know, genders and then it was hard. 
and I and I wanted to do something new and then make create something completely new and then here I am. Interesting. And Michael? So uh, I was uh, I'm I'm German uh, from Munich and uh, but I've been in Japan almost 10 years so I'm a permanent resident and Japan can't get rid of me easily yeah. anymore. <laughs> so uh, I mean I um, I went to school and graduated from school there so and I you know I believe there's lots of creative uh, potential in Japan as Tons of really interesting people. It's a fantastic country to to visit and also to live. But working life, I think most people can say working is not a particular enjoyable part of uh, <laughs> Japanese culture. It's it's not even the interesting parts of working. But overall, um, I found it a bit uh, tricky. And I, you know, I really um, um, actually my parents raised me very um, freely. They can be an artist or an actor or anything. So I didn't. Um, really aspire to be a you know corporate guy and I worked for a very a great fantastic company um, called BrainLab does uh, neurosurgical software and you know helps brain tumor treatments and it's a fantastic um, a company but I was working for the Jap- Japanese subsidiary and my dream or my wish was to change the working culture there and you know to make um, you know make the the company successful there and make it part you know one of the companies in japan that is also in terms of working culture progressive not only with the products that we're doing and you know i found it you know just i thought we have it's it was the leading software most corporate functions are done in the headquarters so i thought you know how hard can it be we have to you know we have to sell it we have to do the accounting we have to do operations we have to manage the products like Competitor products are not as good as ours, so if people want our product, they're going to get our product. But I just realized it'd be easier to create my own company and start new than um, convincing people who are in their late 50s that uh, we can do stuff differently. Uh, why do you think the people that are in their 50s just don't want to like readapt and like expand their horizon? They work really hard to get. They like sucked it up for 30 years. Yeah, and then now the new guys are coming. Say, yeah, yeah. can you maybe not do this? And I yeah. said, no, you can decide that when in when in thirty years yeah. after you've done this. So. Oh, okay. You're fifty, <laughs> <laughs> and when you're fifty, you're the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so can you share a little bit how it looks like in the Japanese culture? L- let's go with Misa, like from Japanese. Japanese walking culture. You mean? Yeah, working. Culture. Yeah, walking culture. So. In Japan, most of the people don't want to leave the company if if they if they start to work for the company, mm-hmm. they don't leave. And they just continue to work in the same company for for their entire life. And then it's because of the, you know, in Japan, it's it's still really important to have the financial stability so people don't want to lose it. And then once you go into the company and then work for the same company for like 30 years, and then they can, you know, they can have more and more money. The the salary is going to be higher and higher. So that's why people like to work in the same company. So people don't don't change their job often. People just stay there. And then, yeah, that's it. Do you think they're happy there? I don't know. It depends on the people. but. Um, generally speaking, I don't think they are happy. Well, they don't. They don't look happy. 
But, you know, at least they have financial stability. So when they have family, maybe it's fine. It's a better choice to stay in a company for a long time. But they don't really look happy. And um, if you go, go into the train in the morning, and then pe- a lot of people in a train and they look really tired and, you know, a bit depressed. <laughs> Some people depressed. And no, I'm, not, I'm not really sure about the working culture. I think a lot of Japanese people are too busy to too, ask themselves yeah. the question whether they're happy or yeah. not. So if you ask Japanese people, I mean Japanese yeah. people, I would say people in Tokyo in the big sense, because Japan is a big country with mm. lots of people living, you know, fairly yeah. suburban. But like the city people you ask, you're busy, are too, are, you, are you happy? They're like too busy to, yeah. to answer that question. Yeah, I need to finish something yeah. before I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it next week. Yeah. So, so do you think it's uh, it's worth it to sacrifice your happiness in, instead of stability? Like to have a freedom and enjoy what you do instead of… For me, it's not worth doing that because for as, as for money, I can figure it out later or somehow I think I can earn money. But, you know, my happiness, that's not something I can buy, you know. If I, if I have a lot of money, it doesn't mean I can buy my happiness. So, no, I don't, I don't think it's worth doing it. Yeah. So, so, rather, I just want to do something I really want to do. And then it's okay if, I, if I'm not rich or not. It, it's okay. As long as, long as I'm happy, then it's fine. Yeah. So that's why I chose not to work in Japanese company. Yeah, yeah. and I I believe that you mentioned that the paying structure is stable. Yeah, like step step by step. So I don't believe that you can get actually rich if you work for the company, right? Yeah. Maybe if you own a company, that's yeah. a different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't get rich, of course. Yeah, I they mean. don't they don't get rich, but they get, they can have you know better better life in yeah. terms of you know financial. Like safety. Yeah, safety. Everybody yeah, likes yeah, safety. Yeah. yeah. Is, do you think this is a big issue in, in Japan? I can tell you what how it looks from our perspective. I'm from Macedonia, Europe. When they show about uh, Japanese workers, they say they're extremely disciplined. They are committed and passionate for their job. And it's like perfection. Everything needs to be perfect. And the problem, they say they work too much that even the government is sponsoring to to have like sex, children, have fun. Yeah. You have to go like mandatory on vacation. I mean, is that true or it's CNN bullshit? Part of it is true. I mean, yeah. uh, so what is not true is that everybody is very passionate about their work. A lot of people just, they follow, they know they have to yeah. go to work and then they go to work and they fall asleep on their desk. Yeah. And you know, they checked out mentally 10 years ago that's a lot of people at big companies mm. in japan but they go there every day and they never call in sick and they're very yeah. proud that they've never been sick and they're proud oh. they don't take a holiday yeah but when you look at what they actually produce is i mean not not everybody but a lot mm. of people is very little and yeah there's a thing you know when you <laughs> i have so i had this colleague who you know i said like hey you gotta really take holiday and blah blah and he said yeah but um, you know i've doing here one, two days, like, no, you know, I really, I totally told him, you're going to take two weeks holiday. You have two weeks holiday, you'll take him. And then um, he submitted with the system, he submitted it, and then a call from HR, it's like, can you come? It's like, 
is he okay? You know, like, you just see him, you're like, he yeah. took in two weeks a holiday. I'm like, yeah, why not? Yes. Yeah. I'm done, you know, we've done the, se- mm. you know, this, his busy season's done now. And it's like, yeah, but you know, in Japan, if somebody takes two weeks, it usually means they want to quit the company. I'm like, yeah. he, he doesn't want to quit the company. I yeah. had to convince him. Wow. And, you know, and I'm sure he heard about this and never yeah. applied for two weeks holiday again. Wow, wow, wow. I'm interesting. How can you compare the Japanese working culture with the German? Because again, I'll I'll mention how I perceive or how I am taught to perceive the German working culture. It's kind of similar like Japanese. Like you're disciplined. Maybe you're not working that much, but you're disciplined, you're perfectionist, you want to make it perfect, and all actually the best cars are made there. Oh, so I like Japan. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, maybe maybe because I'm from Europe. So can you make the comparison like the corporate life in Jap- Japan from your perspective, like like German, like from Europe? I mean, if you look at the facts first, German people work the least hours in Europe. Wow. Um, do you know which country works the most in Europe? Uh, no. Spain. Really? So Spain and um, the countries that we, you know, associate with sort of laziness, it- Italy... Greece, those countries work a lot of hours. So I would say, you know, my statistics a few years ago may have changed a little bit, but I'm sure quite Germany is still on the bottom. Uh, I think efficiency is really important in Germany and yeah. something, uh, you know, I really I value a lot. You know, um, it fits great to, you know, digital nomad life. I would never ask any of the people that you know we've hired now to clock in any hours ever. That would never come to my mind. They have certain things to do, and you know if they get it done, it doesn't matter whether they got it done in an hour or in in twenty hours. They got it done at their own speed. So I think efficiency is is really important, and uh, allowing people to take my my German boss when you know I, my my mother passed away. My German boss said take as much holiday as you want. You know, there's no no restriction. And in Japan, if your family member passes away, there's a schedule of how, you know, if it's yeah. if it's your, your mother, you can take one day. If it's your yeah. child, you can take two days. Really? If it's your uh, mother-in-law, you can yeah. take half depends a day. On, depends on who you lost. Oh, and, yeah. that's, that's and so wrong. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, that, that, that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and then people also don't want to take holidays, even if some some family member died. Wow. So, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I'd say in Germany also has bad parts, definitely working culture, but the focus on efficiency and just getting the job, you know, getting the job done at your own speed and at your own pace and your boss looking at, did you do, you know, what you're supposed to do and not how did you do it? I think that's great. And just to mention it's shortly some negative stuff as well, because not obviously not everything is great, is that the a lot of the working culture in, in Germany is kind of Prussian, uh so Prussian uh derived, you know, Prussia kind of like, you know, Bismarck Unified uh-huh. Germany. So there is, especially in big companies like Siemens, uh, it is kind of organized a little bit like the military, which is where, you know, big companies organize, you know, history. Uh, organizational history comes from. So that can be a bit unpersonal. You know, people refer to each other with their last name rather than their first name. While this is changing, but German, big German companies tend to sometimes still have that. It's hard to to change 
old old structure that nobody wants to change it because nobody it's like complacency it's like good and people yeah people work for like uh the company i just mentioned other companies they're basically not employable anymore for like uh-huh. remote work or startup company. if somebody's worked i, I hope somebody heard, hears that make a comment <laughs> but if you work 10 years for siemens then you're out. Like yeah, you cannot. I don't think you can work for a startup anymore. And like mm. you've been so used to a structure which is not um, for working a huge, being a small week in a big, uh, big machine. machine. Yeah. So uh, if you, if anybody thinks about applying for big companies, you know you really have to set yourself a limit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. <laughs> Definitely. Well. I can say that I never actually had an opportunity to work like for a huge corporation because there are no opportunities in, in Macedonia. So I had to create my own economy and that's how I end up, you know, building my freelance career. So so far it's it's really, really good. So I guess I should be thankful. Although I I was always imagining to be something like you, you know, corporate job position, high level executive. I have a university degree, but I never used it except to go to United States. <laughs> <laughs> I used mine to go to Japan. So. Yeah, so we, are, we are similar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, can you now do the comparison from the corporate job that that you were in the cubicle with boss, with structure like military, and now remotely doing business? It's much better. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about you know. I don't want to make bad like bad impression about Japan but you know if now I'm working remotely and then all the dishes not all but a lot of decisions are on me but if you work for Japanese companies then you cannot decide anything most of most of the thing is are decided by your boss or the CEO it's you know structure is top down so now I can I can think by myself and you know, create by myself and decide by myself. And then, yeah, it's it's good. It's, it's good. Yeah. Well, what's the best part that, that you like remote? Like one thing that you loved and you wouldn't change it for any corporation? <laughs> well, one, the best thing is I can, I can also work from my bed. Oh, no, a bed sheet. Yeah. That's a, that's a best thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe that's how you came up with the idea. With the best you yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and you, Michael? You know, I think uh, life is much healthier. Um, uh, one thing that I um, I realized I drink much less alcohol. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, at, at work, mm. it's really, you know, I really, uh, for me, the most valuable thing at work any any time or right? life generally is the interpersonal relationship that you create with other people and i always took lots of time and energy to you know have dinner with colleagues and you know find out because i as if you are if you are responsible for you know managing other people i think you have a responsibility to know about their lives you know is their mother sick do they have a child that's in hospital and so on because you know that's stuff that you want to know and you know as a good boss you want to be you want to be there if they have a problem they need to solve in their private mm-hmm. life then you have to like you should know that but i found that in in a corporate life um, even though you have more change of meeting people personally but it has to it often 
needs to be done with alcohol and yeah. you know in a kind of unhealthy way and then you have to get up the next morning and then you um, even though maybe you know I had an extremely productive you know dinner uh, that yeah. went to karaoke and more karaoke, yeah. more karaoke. Yeah. Um, but you know I what I like uh, now is that I can you know if we usually you know we don't have any fixed working time but I hardly ever start work later than nine or ten and I n never set an alarm clock I just wake up because mm. I went to bed early fairly early and like that's much healthier so yeah same here in in Macedonia if you want to close a deal it's like we go to a restaurant it's called kafana yeah mm. it's like kafana. food drinks like rakia that's like strong something like a whiskey and it's always like that yeah and after that, your brothers, like, ah, we should start doing business a then, long time you ago. Know, um, as a Bavarian from Munich, there's toddlers is fantastic and it's great. And there should, there's a place and time for this. But your corporate culture, it becomes so you basically that you do this so often. You do definitely, yeah. I mean, even students these days, I mean, or, you know, for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. I guess, it's like Friday, Saturday, year party, party. What are we partying? Like, we party all the time. And and it's, it is just escaping from reality. That's what mm. it is. Trying to forget that you're in the matrix. Yeah. So yeah. you're just yeah. drinking and yeah, I'm drinking happy. And forget uh, it and yeah. Yeah. And tomorrow you hate yourself and you will never drink again. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I'm last saying. Time, <laughs> last time. Last time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how did you guys uh, meet up and started actually the the company? Um. So we. The so we hmm. we started I, we started to work on Isma bedding in when was it in August in August 2017 and then at that time we were still working working in a company Japanese company I mean we were working in Japan but I was I already decided that I would leave leave okay. the company and then he was also thinking about you know his future and then two things happened and uh, one thing was that you know why i really like being in uh you know cancer treatment i thought that's a fantastic thing to do but i found um it was actually during a, a conference where i talked with uh, lots of doctors and people in healthcare it's like you know it really annoys me is how much money is done with treatment and the system is kind of Without anybody being evil in there, there's nobody controlling that. But the system itself waits until people are really sick and then sells them expensive treatments. Um, and prevention is cheap. It's just economically not interesting. And that really annoyed me, not with the company, but with the system itself. And I thought, I really wanted to do something that's a preventative product that helps people to stay healthy and um, you know, that contributes to the health of the planet. And I was looking into the big data, blah, blah, and there's tons of interesting stuff. And I realized that lots of stuff happening, but it's a really systematic, uh, systemic problem. And personally, I'm really interested in antique textiles. So I have lots of, you know, old um, textiles that are 200 years old from Japan. And I often, you know, I love them. You hang them up and just like, you know, how can this be 200 years old? You know, it's so beautiful and has all these patches, been repaired many times. And it was somebody's most precious item, which they had their entire life. And now I feel like responsibility to like preserve it. And so that's the idea where 
you know, the connection between health and textiles is maybe also informed. So I've, I've worked for, um, you know, some NGOs before um, that like uh, textile production is extremely bad for the environment. Um, 28% of the global freshwater pollution, so that's the entire pollution of the, that we are doing, 28%, so almost one third, is only from dyeing our clothes. And these, these pollution is, you know, in, in a category of uh, the toxicity, the highest toxicity. So these, uh, this water, these waters are basically permanently polluted. And of course, we'll do it in, you know, dyeing and in Bangladesh, China, um, India. So, you know, we don't see it. So it's, but it's happening and it's affecting lots of people's lives. And, you know, these antique clothes that I have on my wall, they're all dyed with plants. And I'm like, this is really beautiful and nice. Why would you use chemicals, which are mostly based on petroleum, heavy metals? Why would you use those, you know, if you could use plants? And then I looked more into it, um, you know, found out more details that made me go like, this is insanity. So we make chemicals from, you know, petroleum, heavy metals. Then we have to pre-prepare the probably chemical-based textile with other chemicals and then we dye and then we use formaldehyde and other stuff to clean again the textile. So this is a huge cocktail and all of that is going to water just to save a couple of cents and, you know, dye with chemicals. It was then um, when, when I thought like, you know, let's try to make prototypes, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, first of all, I spoke to people about, you know, why not using plants for dyes and then mm -hmm. sort of the two things that people always say is like, for one, the color, you know, might wash out. It's not as strong as chemical colors. And the other is you cannot make like really strong colors like neon colors. To which I think, well, start with two. Who wants to have neon colors? The yeah. 90s are over, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then with, you know, the color fastness, that seems like a technical problem. I think there should be a solution for it. And, you know, I'm not an engineer, but we just made prototypes. I read up on the latest research in, um, in, in dyeing procedures. And then I, you know, took the phone and called lots of Japanese factories and said, I want to do this, you know, interested in doing prototypes. And then eventually I asked Misa, I said, like, I think they're crazy. Like when I called with my, you know, with my foreigner Japanese, they, <laughs> German go, like, Japanese. <laughs> they go like, there's a crazy foreigner yeah. here in the phone. So and then Misa. Yeah, they didn't really take it seriously. So I called a lot of little factories in Japan. And then, but most of the factories said that, you know, if, if you dye fabric with only plants, then the color goes away. So I cannot do this. And most of the factories said that. But I still, we still just keep on calling and calling and contacting people. And then, yeah, we didn't really decide like, okay, now we are going to, we are going to sell bedsheets. But we were just so curious about the, you know, idea and then, you know, amazed by the the power of the plant. So we just started to, you know, calling, talking, like naturally. Yeah, so it became really an obsession. Like we made yeah. lots of, and we made connections. So then also outside Japan, I had people in, uh, somebody in Dubai, in India, mm. and somebody in San Francisco that I always called up late at night, said, yes, we'll do this and that. Mm. And they're all like uh, sort of curious why, why yeah. we're so into this. And, um, Eventually, we found, um, I found a, a paper published by a professor or doctor from uh, Beijing University who was wor working. So the technology is called uh, uh, sonic wave dyeing. Sonic wave. Yeah, what it is, is 
instead of it, it, so sonic waves are sound waves. So it's kind of a physical uh, enhancement of the color instead of using chemical chemical reaction. Use it, you know, physical. So kind of like accelerate the molecules to penetrate the yarn, and that solves all the problem of the poisonous chemicals. Mm. And he had like you know was working on a on an idea. And then I came to him and I talked with him and, you know, did lots of stuff. <laughs> and when we um, had the first textile, uh, mm. we brought it to a lab and tested it. And um, so what I knew is there are no chemicals inside. But what I was really surprised is there's an ISO scale for color fastness. It goes from 1 to 5. And we always score at least 4.5. That means our textile is even better than most textiles that we were which you know tend to lose their color over time, so it's you can even use you know strong chemicals like bleach and so on. They wouldn't wash out the the color. So when I had that paper, I was like, okay, and it was the end of December, and I said I flew to Germany and told my boss, you know, who I deeply respect, um, I said like, you know, I'm so sorry, but I have to do this. Like I I want to try this, and you know, lots of fun here, and this is fantastic, but. I think I have a good product. And because it's health, you know, I've worked in healthcare, I also see there's a huge application for people with skin problems because often not knowing, you know, these chemicals in, these, in textiles, people think they should be safe because they're sold. They're mm. not. There's tons of studies out there that they make your skin disease worse. You know, even there are um, azodyes, if you look that up, azodyes, you know, are made illegal in most countries because the connection between cancer is pretty clear and still they are sold because the control are too weak. So it's like there's a huge market just in healthcare for, for using safe textiles. For the lack of knowing what to do, we just went on crowdfunding. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, now we have a good yeah. idea, good product. And we did crowdfunding and yeah, there's lots of funny stories. We had to learn how to make videos. Yeah. And like, so Can you like share that. a little bit, you know, how crowdfunding works, how it helped you? So maybe some of the other remote preneurs can, yeah. can use it. Crowdfunding is a lot of fun. Do it. It's, it's <laughs> really it's like exciting. It's a festival. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's like a festival yeah. and it's 10 times harder than you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You will cry yeah, at you'll... some point. Yeah. <laughs> I cried because <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But that's great resources. So... Mm read a lot on resources, how to do mm. it. Don't think there's a magic bullet because there's lots of people that send you cold emails and call you like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth, it. it's worth, it's obviously worth to like evaluate um, the service if it's useful for you. But um, there's no magic bullet. There's nobody who magically makes your mm. Facebook ads and everything works. You really have to go out there, talk a lot about it. Don't ever think that you'll perfect it in your head and you mm. go out and it works. Yeah. So you have to talk to people mm. a lot. And then also there's a lot of people say, don't, you know, don't start your business by talking to friends. I highly object. Talk to all your friends, all your family members. Mm. Because with crowdfunding, the really, really important thing, that's something really valuable. That's my main takeaway. An important crowdfunding is fully funded within a day or two. If you make that, then you'll have to just make the math. How is your funding level? How is your product price? And how many people do you need? Make the math. Don't make it into a PhD, but like just get more or less, okay, we want to reach that. Yeah. And then from there, 
good things happen because you're fully funded already. That means a lot of other people jump on that and say, mm. that's great. And, you know, so that's, yeah. that is really important. Don't put it out and just wait if somebody yeah. might buy it. Yeah, if, if nobody hears, because I'm in sales, if nobody knows you, nobody will flow you. So nobody will give you money. And definitely, here is another takeaway that you mentioned that I will tell to everybody. Always sell your product services or at least tell them to your family and friends. That's called power base. That's one thing that I learned from Grant Cardone. He's one of the most recognized sales trainers. He said, like, first you need to go to power base because those are the easy money. Until you start getting flow, no, no stranger will give you money. Maybe he will come to do an interview with you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but will not give you money. Not yet. <laughs> so always stick with your friends and family, at least, you know, just, just to see, to try out your pitch, your sales pitch, at least, and try out the product. Yeah. And some of them, they will give you money out of the pity, but it's still a sale. So yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter. How much money did you raise on crowdfunding? 100, uh, 127 something. Yeah. $127,000 US dollars. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. But that's, I also have to say, when I saw these companies that raised that kind of money, I thought like, oh my God, like they're going to live the life. But it means you actually have to produce the product. And because, most likely, if you're like us, you're an idiot, and then you realize, oh, your margins and blah, blah, and then you're really busy. And at the end, you realize, okay, that's left now. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to invite everybody to dinner, and then we're on zero. <laughs> yeah. so, but I think that's, that is fine. So it's not a magic, but you also you need to think about the your crowdfunding keeps you busy, and you will, you will definitely you know, not earn any money while doing it. So you need to know how you, you know, can stabilize your life. Being in Chiang Mai is very good. Like being somewhere <laughs> where it's not expensive and where it's nice and no stress to live. But you need to, you need to have you know, sort of maybe you want to move back with your parents or in a garage <laughs> or somewhere. But you don't want to have, um, you know, an expensive lifestyle mm -hmm. because this crowdfunding and there's, you know, of course, there's a few crowdfundings that made more than a million um, but many of those, then you know, like the famous Pebble Watch, they got broke later, uh, or haven't, or the coolest cooler, you know, are so sad they never delivered their products. Yeah, it is work. Crowdfunding is work, and it's there's no magic bullet out there to help you. Yeah. And crowdfunding itself is also not yeah. a magic bullet. Yeah. it's a fantastic way to get your first customers, to get your to first get, yeah. operational yeah. cash flow. For that, it's fantastic. Yeah. So it's a good jump start for, for your business. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think crowdfunding is a great platform for advertising your company as well. I, I feel it's more, it's more for advertisement than making money from it. So where are you in your business after the crowdfunding currently? So right now, basically, we are um, our last crowdfunding closed at the end of the year. And we are right now, I think, shipping the last products. Mm. So this is great. We've actually, everybody that has backed our uh, project um, has received their product. And um, we've um, sort of worked with feedback. So we got, you know, some, some feedback, which was usually on the, was on packaging and on 
the labels and so on, how mm. to make it better. Because what we wanted to make quickly, so our product is a, a batch sheet, a, a set of batch sheets. With the technology, of course, we can make all kinds of textiles, but we felt um, bedding, bed set, you know, that's something people quickly connect with health. So you're like, yeah, I sleep one third in there. And it's not possible to, uh, oh, I sleep one third now. I spend one third of my life in there. And it's not possible to get rid of all, you know, toxic chemicals in your life. And, but a bed or like bed sheets would be something that significantly uh, reduces sort of your, your exposure to, to chemicals. Mm. And it's also when your body sleeps, it wants to recover its skin and so on. And if it's, if you have some polyester sheets, you know, pink, pink polyester sheets, then your skin, when you sleep, it's all the time like on defense mode and it's not helping mm. to, it's not giving, your body's not giving it time to recover. So that's why we thought bed sheet is great. Also great from a production point of view because a full bed sheet is 24 square meters, which means we can actually produce a significant amount of textile. And we, we, we do need to do that in order to keep our um, production costs low. We cannot only make 100 meters, otherwise, you know, the cost is way too expensive. When you produce something from scratch, when you don't drop ship it and so on, there's lots of like things in the background that you need to take care of that people don't see. So we are now at a point where this is really, you know, stable, it works well, all the relationships are like, you know, been tried and tested for one, one, one and a half years. And um, now we do have a lot of, uh, you, you know, a lot of B2B things like hotels, co-living, um, you know, healthcare, like private clinics, what are they called? Maternity clinics. Yeah. And um, that's fantastic. That's what we, you know, want the product to be. Um, we've still lots of interviews and articles. So I think we had, yeah. what kind of articles do we have? Fast Company. Fast Company, Forbes Magazine, wow. Real Simple, The Independent UK, and Brit & Co. in yeah. America. So, then we've, so we've, there's a lot of stuff happening there. We have uh, a sales team now and that does these B2B uh, deals. And um, But I think the coolest thing is that we can uh, contribute besides this B2B is because we'll, you know, we buy the cotton. I'm going to say, I buy the cotton, I buy the cotton, I buy the indigo. We'll put it together, we'll cut it. And we, from there where we cut it, we'll send it out to, to people. And so we have extremely thin margins. So if people pay our products that admittedly aren't cheap, but they get exactly that quality. There is mm. no middleman in between. Mm. And people say, yeah, you know, but you can also get bed sheets for $50. Yeah. And those, they cost to make probably $8. And so you really sleep in the, the worst kind of material. So I think our big uh, contribution is, um, is that we, as a B2C company, mm. when people buy from us something, they get an exceptional quality in any, and it's not only the dye, I mean, we use indigo, but it's also the cotton. We mm. buy certified organic cotton. We use a very high thread count, thick weaves, sateen weave, so it's, you know, almost feels like silk. So in every aspect, it's a premium product. And people pay, you know, just with a thin margin, what we mm. pay for it to make it. So that's where I see the future. And that's where I want to be. I want that people um, can directly buy from us. 
if you don't like the product, they can return it. Like, yeah. And they're not communicating with some agency somewhere. They basically, if they have an issue, they talk with, you know, with Misa or me, with any other of the, uh, the, the team members. But like, we'll make sure that um, everybody is, is happy. By the yeah. way, I think that's so cool. So we have now, you know, more or less a thousand plus people that have the product already. Yeah. And we've so far... I've not gotten one complaint yet about the product quality or anything. Wow. Uh, mm. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. So we... Good job. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And we get lots of like love letters of people like writing this extremely long... Yeah, we were so impressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, poem kind of style of like, how mm. their life is great now. Yeah. And like, and they how, how did you felt when you were reading, you know, the love letter? Yeah, oh. you go like... <laughs> Oh my god! And then we yeah. posted on Slack, we shared. Yeah. Everybody see like this guy runs again. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it, that's it's fantastic. Because yeah. at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, yeah, mm. you, what you want to do is you want to you want to impact people's life in a positive way. And you know, I, I, I'm sure you have something. Everybody has something which mm. they touch and they feel and makes them yeah. happy. Mm. Something they have, you know, it's you know whatever that could be their motorbike, anything. But like that's kind of product. That's what I want yeah. to do, and that people value it. You know, they go like, "Wow!" And you know, and they know it's our, you know, literally blood, sweat, and tears, and our mm. time and money to make that. And if it but provides babies, our product is yeah. baby. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a baby. And if it, if people have that feeling towards the product, then. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. That's what we want. And when they send you uh, love letters, you're proud of your baby. You yeah. grown up. <laughs> yeah, we were proud of our baby. And also, it's uh, when we when we receive feedbacks and messages, it is a huge mo- huge motivation for us. Uh-huh. So we we do this, and people and that product make them happy. And then yeah, that's why we are doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big motivation. And then our customers are so nice. And then I, I feel they are like, you know, family or relative. <laughs> yeah. And then I also remember their names. Yeah. And then we, we have so many repeaters. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, nice. it's really nice. Yeah, mm. we have a crazy amount of repeaters. Yeah. And also we had people, um, you know, we have people who, who like, you know, like bought, their first they bought for their family and then, there's, you know, they ask us if they can forward a coupon. Of course they can, yeah. but like then to to their friends and so on. So yeah, I think the satisfaction rate is very yeah. high. I think, it, you know, this makes you happy because, I mean, that's something I think uh, you have to say also uh, to people watching who are thinking about quitting their job and <laughs> thinking, oh, look at those guys in Chiang Mai having cocktails and blah, blah. Like it's really hard, you know. <laughs> it's really hard. Like you'll just work your ass off and, you know, you... Maybe you work now 40 hours a week for somebody else and you might soon work 100 hours a week for yourself and you don't have any money. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, did I, is that a mistake? So that obviously that happens, but you just have to move away from the money aspect. Like you're much better in a you know, high-level corporate job, much safer, blah, blah, if you just think about the money. But um, if you think about life satisfaction, and obviously there is a potential it works out and takes a life of its own, um, and that should motivate you to get there, but you shouldn't go in there with a motivation. Oh, after six months, this needs to, you know, cash needs to be coming in because then usually you'll give up way too early. 
And when you get these letters and he thinks it's worth it, mm. like you're like, I can go another, yeah. I can go another three months without food. It's yeah. I can do the noodles. Yeah. I can do yeah. the noodles. noodles <laughs> for another three months. No yeah. It's fifty baht only. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I do interviews for free drinks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's how I got him. <laughs> that's I couldn't. That's why I couldn't close him. <laughs> he had to ship the products. So. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Tim. Interesting. How you developed your your company? Because you cannot cannot do this alone. Well, you know, I think you'll talk. So we talked. Miso saying, you know, I had my job. I was saying, you know, I'm thinking about this. And you know, initially it was she helped me with calls, and then it was, you know, and then we needed models for video because, like, we the all models in our products are usually people that we know. And, you know, then, and then, you know, the social media, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't understand Instagram. And she's like, yeah, you're going to follow yeah. and black. I'm like, I don't know what any of that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I am, um, Jun is, um, is also like co-founder. Jun is a, you know, friend of a friend and he works in quality management. Um, so it's his family, it's his family's company. And they've been doing this for a hundred years. They just produce things. In, Jap- in Japan or in China or in Taiwan. And because we were also thinking about, you know, not producing Japan, but in China with this mm-hmm. um, uh, doctor, I, you know, I told him, yeah, I'm going to, you know, meet this professor, blah, blah. And then he was saying, I'll come with you. And yeah. that's, that's, again, you need to talk about it, put the idea out mm-hmm. because you meet people. Something else, a story happened a few days ago. Somebody I had lunch with and I talked about my product said, I need to meet you. And then he made this proposal and said, I want to work for you. So, okay, great. And so for me, people at work, um, oh, you know, I would say that's pretty much in the DNA of the company. Don't care where they are. Usually, ev- not usually, everybody works in there has a huge convergence of passion about producing something mm-hmm. of high quality, doing something that's good for health, for environment, you know, something that promotes the idea of craft. Mm-hmm. In, in a wider sense of working with natural materials and, you know, thinking about, I would say craft for me also means thinking about the people. It's kind of like a design thinking approach, thinking about what's good for human and then, okay, this and then how we produce it, not like what can a machine produce and how do humans, how do we have to brainwash humans marketing-wise that they want to use this product, which we've produced cheaply. So just kind of the other way around. And I think that passion Having that unifies the whole team. Mm. And when you talk about practicalities, we just mentioned, I don't care where people work, uh, how people work. We have great tools. We can talk about this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great tools. Just how interesting. We... Like, uh, I assume that you have, how, how many people you have in your team currently? No. So we seven. Yeah. Seven. Seven people, seven. right? And all of them are remotely, right? Freelancer or... Similar. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so yeah, remotely. Uh, so, I did, yeah, it's a little bit hard to find. Of course, there's a lot of people in Japan, but the the production um, mm-hmm. is the production. We is the of, you know the dying indigo is done in in Yanta. Yeah, of course. And so we have. Uh, she's basically hired as a contractor, but if you know, I more or less want her to be a part of the company, so mm-hmm. she's local mm-hmm. there. Okay, and she's overseeing what what's happening. Then 
the sort of the quality manager that I mentioned, he's he's in Tokyo. Okay. Then uh, there's the um, the so it's a six six or seven people, but here in Chiang Mai we found four, four. salespeople now. Four people. Yeah, four. that work as sales. And last week we did like onboarding and training, and this week they start and we'll see how yeah. things are going. But great job, great job. So so you guys actually found the people here. They are remotely, but you actually yeah. you yeah. met them in person. Yeah, That's so here. cool. And then we are here. And then June is in Japan. And the one guy, he's in Sweden. Uh-huh. So everywhere. Everybody. How do you organize the communication? Can you explain us like how, how it works? It's just interesting. You were both in the corporate position. You were executive. So can you explain how is it to run a remote team and how is it compared with, with the old school way of cubicle you business. To, you need to cut the bullshit. Like, you cannot yeah. have, like, an email for everything. Yeah. And policies well, for everything, huh? So we use Slack. So it's, Slack, okay. Yeah, it's more like, you know, uh, online conversation, okay. right? Not, not like email. So we use Slack and we also have, we often have phone call meeting okay. each other. And then, yeah, you know, it's 21st century, so we can call from anywhere. We can call often, and then we can communicate each other a lot. Yeah, it's no problem. No, no problem. problem. Yeah, and we talk all. You know, we we talk all the time. Like, I mean, if you if you don't know um, if you don't know what Slack is, mm-hmm. you're missing out on something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. if I would go back to if so, like if I had to go back for some reason to corporate job and managing a team again. Yeah. I would say, you know, I'd rather cut half of my salary than working on email <laughs> yeah. again. Like, then you, I force you to use, like, like stop this internal email nightmare to everybody. Yeah. But, you know, just killing everybody with commentation. Dear blah, 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 I hope you don't yeah. mind that if you could possibly check blah, blah on SAP, the yeah. kind regards you. Who, this is so stupid. You know, you work in yeah. a company, you just say, please check SAP number. Yeah send and then you know whatever put in mark the other person's name it's so much easier that way and it's so much more fun and it saves you from all the yeah. oh but did he mean that or this and why did he use that word in the email and yeah. email is like you know somebody said this to me recently in the email you know like how the typewriter the uh-huh. organization oh, yeah. of the letters comes from the typewriter yeah so that the arms wouldn't yeah hack into each other so actually the letters are not very well organized the QWERTY keyboard. Oh. There's the Dvorak keyboard, which is made for keyboard, and you can write uh, 10 times faster because the letters are more convenient. Mm. But we use QWERTY because of the because that the the letters that commonly yeah. they're far away from each other so that the arms wouldn't... Oh, I didn't that? know that. I thought that was the best logical way. Of- no, it's, yeah. it's the worst way, but we can't change it anymore because we're in there. Like, you can... the The... If everybody needs, if somebody says we do Twitter keyboards now, people wouldn't buy it. He's like, oh, I have to learn something new. Mm-hmm. And yeah, probably would slow you down half a year. And then after that, you'll be so fast because you can write faster. Mm-hmm. So we stuck with the suboptimal keyboard because people don't want to change. And I think with email, the same thing has happened. That's what my point. In email, yeah. is the digital form of a letter that you had to write when you, you know, need to send it off with address and name, blah, blah, and dear sir and madam, and people wait for two weeks. An email is the same paper, digital form of paper thing. Mm. And the people at 
Slack or probably, you know, other people as well, just said like, you know, stupid, like we just digital, you don't, you send it, the other person gets yeah. it right away. You don't need to say hello, dear sir, at every, you know, five times a day to the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Signature and everything like. Stupid, yeah. So uh, I think when you, the good thing about stepping out of a system is like you are forced to look at things outside the box yeah. like you you don't even have the luxury to you're not in a box anymore so you we you know isomer betting is you know kind of doing good but at the same time we're always one wrong decision away from disaster and failure and it's over and that makes us really think very hard about how to communicate and how do, do we really need to have regular meetings on this yeah. and that and do we need to have a policy like it has to just be Yeah. <laughs> yeah. German efficiency and Japanese perfection. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's, your, <laughs> that's the formula of success yeah. for your company. Yeah. So do you think you can actually build a real company remotely? Yeah. yeah I think so. Do you think it's like more efficient to, to, to work this way than go to the cubicle and all the, the stuff? I never had the luxury of working in a corporate position. I totally. guess I'm lucky. Totally. So what we're going to do What we'll do is once uh, this works, but then we'll get okay. a, we will get a space um, somewhere where people can be if they want to be. And I think there's a huge benefit in working together with other people. Yeah. So you asked me if you want to do the interview on Skype, and I didn't want to do it on Skype because I think this kind of stuff is better to you know do when you meet mm. somebody. Yeah. So there is. I'm not you know against having a company and space and working together. I think mm. it's fantastic time and place yeah. for this. But you don't force people to be there. You invite them to be mm -hmm. there and spend the time together. So we want to get a space where people um, can be together. Mm -hmm. And we probably would say like every year, uh, about a month or three weeks, we invite everybody um, to be there at that space and work together. Mm -hmm. And the, the rest of the year, they can be there if they want or they can be somewhere else. And I think that's when you uh, in the you know corporate function you also need to think about um you know how people are um you know do they have a good insurance yeah. do they have a health insurance all this stuff like you want people to be safe and comfortable and i you know i don't think that you know i think as a company you have you can negotiate better insurance deals and that kind of stuff so you are in a good position to help your employees and give something nice and extra what traditionally companies have been doing for us which you know it's fantastic i mean not not every company and not in every country but if a company pays your retirement and all these kinds of there's fantastic deals and for that you know traditional companies are great and i think when you build up a, a remote company that's at some point something you also have to think about uh, you know so, so from time to time basically you do need to it, it's good idea to go and meet together and yeah. create the bondage. Yeah. Yeah. I agree there with you. I mean, I spoke with you. I, I must defend the email a little bit. If it wasn't the cold email, <laughs> this guy wouldn't be here. <laughs> It's really good that I actually am here with you physically and talking. I mean, we, we created some kind of relationship and bondage and it, it's a little bit difficult to do that through, through phone call or Skype, but yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't have to be 24-7 because eventually, I guess, you will start hating the other guy. <laughs> yeah. I think once you, you know, 
I mean, if you have animals uh, like cats and dogs, and yeah. you force them to be together, they become this really weird. Mm. Yeah. You know, if you but you if you feed a cat or whatever, they, it'll come back to you. Yeah. And you can leave the door open. Same with the dogs. You know. Mm. Yeah. Like it's uh, more comfortable. Yeah, like dogs in Thailand, they just run around all the time, but they go where they, you know, where they're welcome, where they like to be. And, you know, with lots of dogs in other countries, there's this kind of hostage situation that, like, the dogs are just kept inside and, just, oh, and they go insane and crazy. So it's the same with humans. Like, yeah. if you force somebody to be somewhere, you know, then what's, there's no value in it. And you also, I think you'll get a certain type, either you make people in a certain way or you get a certain type of people who, are not willing to go out and take yeah. a risk and you know that kind of employee you really want especially in a growing stage of a company so basically Aizume Bedding is a group of street dogs <laughs> yeah. Thai street dogs yeah the, the, that was an interesting <laughs> point <laughs> yeah. okay so w what skills you would suggest for the other people that are working remotely or thinking of getting outside the, the cubicle, what remote skill set they should develop in your experience so far? Like what's the most important experience? Like skill set, like like communication, like through Slack, like be... Yeah, but that's, you yeah, learn that on the Yeah, goal. you can learn, you can learn eventually. I, I feel... Having courage is more important, I think. Okay. Yeah, more than skills. Okay. Because skills are something you can get later mm -hmm. when you start working remotely. But, you know, it's a lot of people wants to work remotely, but they can't because they, you know, they, they are a bit anxious about money and then financial stability. And then that's why a lot of people cannot get out of the, you know, cubic. Yeah. And then... I, I was also so scared of quitting my job because, you know, what's what's going to happen if I don't have a job? I, am I going to die alone on the street? <laughs> am I going to homeless? You know, but I eventually I have some courage to, you know, get out of this cubic. And then I think that's the most important step first to, to okay. take if you want to work remotely. Mm. Yeah, okay. skills are something you can get later, yeah. I feel. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Th that's a nice point, yeah. I think. Like, everything you, you need to do in life, it's you need courage. One thing I would add to that, commit first, figure it out later. That's my motto. I mean, oh. I wouldn't be doing this podcast, I wouldn't be in Chiang Mai if I didn't commit first and figure it out later. I didn't have a clue how to do that, but I committed first, I had a courage, made a decision to go forward and after that I had to figure it out. So you, you get creativity when you commit. If you don't commit and thinking about it, you will never do it because all the time you will get some kind of doubt and especially in your society, parents, friends, they will say like, don't do that. It's dangerous. It's going to die. Yeah, as, as yeah. yeah. but because they love you and they want to protect yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know. It doesn't mean they hate you. No. There is a... I mean, like, usually parents have a fun way of like first saying... Don't do this, and then you do it, and you're successful. My son, yeah. he did that. Yes, yeah. exactly. He did it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, before I I actually managed to succeed and committed to 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 succeed as a remote preneur, I was struggling. 
I was so depressed for two years. I, I was in a, in a hole. I hit the rock bottom. And for two years, I didn't know how to get out of it. So my parents were, and I was always a dreamer, I, I must admit. I always was thinking about bigger side of life, like going, traveling, etc. And they were telling me out of love that I should forget that and just get any job. They even suggested me to work you know, as a regular cashier in a sport uh, station where you you buy tickets for football and stuff like that, for betting. I mean, that low for minimum wage. And previously, I was a successful salesperson in a life insurance company. I I became a broker. I had a team. It was remote. It was a network marketing company. And now I had to go back and it was so difficult to, to, to escape from that hole and freelancing helped me to to become what uh, what I am now. Well, yeah, definitely. But you do need courage. Yeah. yeah. And don't give up. Yeah. Never give up. Yeah. That's that's one thing I, I would like. You need to have courage mm. and then decide and then stick with your decision. Because especially if you want to be the, like, an entrepreneur, there is plenty of things that will make you regret the decision. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that you just have to know. It's just, it's come like never keep committed for a certain time you know always make mm. you know six twelve or whatever months plan don't give up because you know if anything when you make a company it's always like this and then it's gonna be like this for a really long time and like this little bin makes you feel like it's really successful and then it goes like like and then it will go up and you just don't know when this is happening so you you kind of like you just need to sometimes you know, I mean, you know, just go to bed early, get up in the morning and have good breakfast and go mm-hmm. back on your desk and work, work, work. And then eventually like these things come. And especially I think building up a company is just like you do a lot of work that you're not getting paid for. And you do a lot of work, which is a bit hard for me as, you know, sort of a former manager where I feel like there's a hundred million mm-hmm. people in the world who are way better at this and I have to do it. Like, okay, and I have nobody that I can push it to, so I'm just going to do it now. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah so. but eventually when you build up the, the company and income, eventually you will automate and outsource most of the smaller things and just focus on, on, on growing your but company. It, but um, it's a procedure. That's, that's a process. And until then, you like uh, you have to be the, the handyman. It's just going to, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have to, I still make all email addresses. Like, I have to go to configure the email addresses. Yeah. I'm like, in this back-end email thing, it's totally not my word. And I'm like, okay, I hope now we have an email address. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, mm. but that's, I mean, that's the fun thing about being being an entrepreneur. You learn new stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you learn a lot, actually, because, you know, we are not only... I don't know if I can say only, but we have seven people right now. And then each of us have their own role. For example, if if it were me, then I do PR and then contacting journalists and also sometimes do social media. So I have some some tasks, some tasks at the same time. And then he has many things he has to manage. So even even if for example, even if I am PR in charge of PR, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. So I have a lot of tasks 
and each of them have a, a lot of tasks. So, yeah, we have a lot to learn and a, and a lot to take in. I feel, but you know, if if you work in a you know big company, then you only in charge of sales of this store and this store, and then you do this and this. That's it. But you know, we are startup company and we are new, so that that's why we have. We have to do many things, which is tough, but still a lot to take in. I feel. Yeah, but 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 you learn how to do it in a better way. So when you you make an efficient process, then you can just record it, and visually there are many tools, and you can just give it to the next person and just forget about it. That's one of the things that I can refer. I do also have a team. I'm a freelancer from one side, but also I'm an employer of freelancer on the other side. So most of the sales-related positions that that I do, you know, the sending of the emails. By the way, I didn't send that email. Somebody else did. <laughs> you are really and silly something. Yeah. <laughs> I did wrote the template that got you. <laughs> so I just write the the things that I can actually like outsource. Even I train a person that can reply on the basic stuff so I don't have to think about it. And I use, it's a tool called Notion. Basically, you can create a knowledge base of your process. And you can just create a video, text, frequently asked questions, all the sections. And if you need to hire a new person, you can just send a link. Don't explain yourself. Just go do this, read this. If you forget about it, go again. And they they will they will remember. So that's one of my tips that I can share for you and for you guys. So who do you know that? By the way, before we go to that point, can you share the remote lifestyle that you experience? I mean, we are not, you know, it's weird because I, I actually don't, you know, when people call say digital nomad and so on. I don't really consider. I mean, I've never really thought about this and. Mm. You know, we basically, without knowing the term or without being familiar with the term, so Misa always wanted to do, a, you know, getting a teaching certificate, yeah. something else. And, and so she yeah. was getting, she was saying, oh, you know, I'm going to Chiang Mai University for this, it's a couple of weeks yeah. for to the certificate. And it's the time where our production was anyway, where we're just producing, we're delivering. So yeah. generally with fast, really, I mean, we worked so much last year, so it was, um, and we worked until New Year's, and then we thought, okay, cool. So mm-hmm. she would take the class, and I was like, yeah, you know, I prepare, you know, I've got lots of, you know, stuff with investors and you know things that uh, I have to read up and understand. And then um, actually, it was my brother and my dad, and like everybody was kind of like holiday Thailand, and then we just basically just all came to Thailand. Yeah. And um, then I just, you know, kind of opened my computer, started working. Yeah. And then I kind of realized it's what everybody's doing in Chiang Mai. There's a ton of co-working spaces. And then it came to like, I was, you know, talking to fantastic people on the phone who are, you know, like you. Yeah. <laughs> like you? From Canada? Yeah. <laughs> from, from Canada. Yeah. And um, and then at the same time, though, like, I had a co-working space, you know, I was talking about, what is it, Facebook ads and stuff. And then I just realized, you know, there's all these amazing people around me mm. who are like, um, if I, you know, and I'm, 
I talk with a company in the U.S. say, hey, I need some with Facebook ads. They say, yeah, we'll give you, you know, somebody of our experts, and then, you know, I'll pay five times as much as what this person is earning for their job. And then I realized there's all these really smart people around here. You have experience with brand building, with shipping, with you know, all kinds of stuff. Because the technology and, and that you know, we know. Like I don't need anybody. You know, for that, but what I need people helping me with, you know, tons of things that you need in the digital world. And I think that's how we, I mean, I'm going back tomorrow to Japan, so it's not like that we are uh, uh, permanent travelers, but like it's absolutely, it's not black and white, right? When you start a company, you can be two months, you work from somewhere else. But one thing maybe this experience has also taught me. If we hire people, I'm not going to make them move somewhere. Like they uh, might as well be, be here and we are in Japan. Mm -hmm. and so, so it's just, I don't have actually a big philosophy on it. It just works. It works. Simply yeah. it works. It mm. works. Yeah. And then we didn't know that we are actually doing being a digital nomad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for. Yeah. <laughs> no. You're remote printers. <laughs> it's a new term that I'm coining. <laughs> remote printers. I think it sounds better. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So, who do you know that should be on that on this podcast that is a remote printer? German guy. Yeah. Okay. German so guy. yeah, yesterday uh, we had um, we had like a sort of farewell dinner with some of the, the people that we got to know here, got to know in Chiang Mai. And this is really interesting. People do all kinds of stuff. And um, a lot of people are like passionate about doing something that actually creates value. And so one thing is, it sounds very German. That's fine. I'm German, can't help. But like, um, <laughs> so a lot of like um, uh, people, when they go into digital nomad life, it's very exciting when you start and people are like ah and then think how oh, to make money and it's great mm -hmm. but I think there is a lot there is uh, there is a reason why people like being big companies which I mentioned before insurance and all these like safety mm -hmm. net and so on and when people say you're leaving that behind that's actually not true like you can build that up as well you know you'll have to think through it once yourself but there are a ton of resources and there's this one guy who I met um, who in the beginning, uh, if you meet him, I was like, is this guy trying to sell me an insurance? Yeah. He was like, How can he be so passionate about insurances? Yeah. But then I realized, you know, he's a very uh, genuine, good person who wants to inform people about, you know, what, what insurances do and how insurances work and money. I know you've worked with insurances. Yeah, so I, think I think we will bond. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting conversation. And, you know, he has... Um, tons of ideas for like new kinds of insurances for you know that makes sense for you know people working remotely and he knows a lot about it it's it is a bit complicated because it depends where you come from and he also knows a lot about like you know company registration because one thing is also i've um i always sounds so funny but i always kind of was happy about feeling proud of paying tax mm -hmm. because you know i've i uh, when i studied i got you know, scholarships, and I always feel I benefit greatly from the fantastic social system in Germany. So I want to pay my fair share of tax. So this guy also knows a lot about um, company registration as an e-resident in Estonia, which is fantastic because it doesn't require, you are in the European Union, 
but it doesn't require you to go anywhere in person. Nice. So this guy is Chris. I connect you on Facebook mm. and you hang out here. Chris will talk about insurance and about <laughs> Estonia. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Chris, for the brainwash. Uh, yeah. That's what we do, we guys from the insurance. Yeah. <laughs> In the you know it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything to add at the end for the remote preneur community? Yeah. <laughs> I would say life is beautiful and enjoy it. And if you. Life is short. Life is short. So you only live once. Only live once. Yeah. And if you're feeling unhappy with your job and you're dreaming about being in Chiang Mai or somewhere else, then you are already there. Mm. And because, guys, the life is short and health is really important, I think you should go to their website and get their bedding so, <laughs> so you're <laughs> healthier. No, honestly, yeah. I think everybody should should go and check out the website and they can get at least one set because... We are traveling a lot and you do need a good sheet, a good bedding to, to keep it healthy. You don't know where you sleep. I, I've changed like, I'm here eight days in Chiang Mai. I changed like three, four locations. It's, it's funny. We do have a couple of people who are traveling a lot and bought bed sheets, which I would think is highly impractical, <laughs> but it happens, especially pillowcases. Yeah. Where can they, they buy your bed? We... we uh, we make a, a Discord that you can share for people oh, okay. the yeah. podcast. Awesome. Uh, where, where they can find the, the sheets? Can you say the, the website? It's Izome Bedding. Izome Bedding. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Izome Bedding. A-I-Z-O-M-E. Bedding. Bedding. Okay. Okay. And also you can go on the, on, on the internet. Izome Bedding. You will see a lot of links the, to that will show the crowdfunding campaigns and also there are a lot of uh, newspaper articles. That's how I actually found them. Well, it's not me. That it's not you. Them. It's you <laughs> <so> guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thank you for, for coming here. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. This was amazing, amazing interview. <laughs> I think you're going to build a big company and brand. Probably you will expand to Amazon and other stores and ship to the entire world, especially if it's if it's eco-friendly and also it's healthy for, for people. You guys, thank you for listening or watching. This was amazing interview and stay tuned. Every week you will receive uh, interviews with successful remote preneurs, which you can use for motivation or just learn how they develop their business or their freelance economy. Thanks. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast to be the first to hear new episodes. And if you feel that this episode provided you with value, we invite you to share this podcast with a friend that is trying to escape the matrix and create his or her own remote economy. Visit remotepreneurs.com and join the email list to receive this episode's show notes and a welcoming gift. <laughs>